This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of CastingAcross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This episode is being recorded in the days leading up to the 4th of July. I hope everybody has a fun and safe holiday, and uh, that maybe you even need to go out fishing. I was able to go out fishing last night, and uh, believe it or not, I did not primarily use a fly rod. I did use a fly rod, uh, but most of my time was spent casting a spinning rod. And actually, I was going to talk about that today, because I am... As uh, somebody I know in uh, fly fishing industry says, I am I am fishing agnostic. I, I don't think that there is a right way or a wrong way to do it. Nine times out of ten, I prefer to use a fly rod. But when I was invited to go fishing with a friend of mine who had just gotten a new boat, I did not know the layout of said boat. And generally speaking, I am much more comfortable casting conventional tackle off of a boat. So showed up at this pond in southern, actually it's not southern New Hampshire. I drive up through southern New Hampshire to come down into Massachusetts, and it is a duck hunting boat. And so it's very broad, and uh, it has a trolling motor, and it had an outboard motor. And he expected that. I was going to be fly fishing, so he brought his fly rod. I didn't. I brought a spinning rod. It is a Shimano rod and reel that I absolutely love. It is perfectly balanced. It's got a stiffen up tip that I can do a lot of topwater things, which this time of year is a lot of fun. And I brought my huge tackle box. So real quick, fun little story about my tackle box. So my mom sold Mary Kay. I'm sure a lot of your mom sold Mary Kay. And if they didn't sell it, somebody tried to sell it to them. But uh, she had this huge Plano guide series tackle box when I was in like middle school. And I coveted this box, not because of the makeup samples that were inside, but because of how big it was. It just seemed like the coolest tackle box in the world. And so when she stopped selling Mary Kay, I uh, inherited that uh, tackle box. And it is still my conventional tackle box to this day. The top compartment is just all big 
compartments for spinner baits and crank baits and worms and it's kind of like you can change things in and out but then you open it up and there's slots for smaller compartment boxes and uh, it's just a it's it's a huge briefcase of a of a tackle box but it carries everything i have and there's still a little bit of room where i can add more to it so i threw that thing up in the boat i had my one spinning rod he had his uh his bait caster and his fly rod and off we went and uh, as we were pulling out of the boat ramp, as we were backing up, I was playing with uh, a lure that I had on. I had just purchased a Rapala floating minnow. It's the smallest one that has three treble hooks. Uh, I don't even know how long it is, maybe five inches, and it's perch colored. And I'm just seeing how it looked in the water, and a pickerel came up and hit it. So it wasn't even a fish on my first cast. It was a fish my first moment in the water. I hadn't even cast the the line out yet. So beautiful evening. It had been thunderstorming all day. We were skeptical we were in to get out, but we got out and it was just awesome. The water was crystal clear, not crystal clear. It was smooth as glass. That's the that's the phrase I was looking for. And uh, we had the water to ourselves. There's two other guys on kayaks out there, but uh, just a, a wonderful night. So what does this have to do with giving you information. You don't want a fishing report from, from my time out on a duck boat with a buddy of mine. As I was fishing, I was thinking about how my time fly fishing actually is making me a better conventional angler. How my time fly fishing is making me a better conventional angler. So along with fishing out of boats, which this boat, it turns out, is great for fly fishing, out of boats, out of kayaks, or even with, with my kids, uh, in a lot of the places that we go fishing around here, New England is just so tight. There's not a lot of, of open um, stream banks. And there's a lot, uh, a lot of ponds that are manicured on the, the edges. So everything's got trees behind it. So a lot of times when I'm with my kids and we're walking stream sides or we're going around the banks of a pond, we do use conventional gear just because it's just so much easier for them and, and even, even for me. So I, I do do quite a bit of conventional uh, particularly spinning rod fishing. And last night I was thinking, as I was using a few different styles of lures, that uh, my fly fishing has really impacted my conventional fishing. What can you take away from this? I'm going to go through a few different things. Well, first of all, if you do both, if you go back and forth like I do, then maybe this is something you can think about. Secondly, maybe you don't use conventional gear, but what I'm talking about, about how the fly fishing has informed my conventional fishing, um, will be helpful. The first one is fishing topwater lures. So one of the benefits, of course, of fishing a topwater fly, especially for bass or you know, any of the warm water species or even in the salt or even mice for trout, is that by having that line in your hand, again, using a fly rod now, by having that fly line in your left hand, if you're a right-handed angler, and you're retrieving, you can really impart very, very subtle motion. I think that you actually have uh, advantage as a fly angler for fishing topwater flies because you can really control what your line does in a much more managed way by using your line hand on your fly on your fly line than you could by cranking in on a spinning reel or a bait casting reel. I think you have a lot more control uh, and you can do a lot of uh, a lot more with your line hand. But then of course you can also work that fly with your rod tip. And hopefully when you're fishing topwater bugs or uh, lures, you are letting those things sit 
and Twitch. I think all of my strikes last night came off of pauses, you know, right in that moment, right before you think I need to start retrieving this popper. That's when the the hit would happen. Um, so I uh, it was it was fun and I actually got to kind of put this into play last night because I was fishing both a popper and a fly rod towards the end of the evening. We were out in this really deep deep stretches, uh, 40, 50 feet deep. And, but the bluegill were out and they were feeding on top just as it's getting dark. So you could, you could hear them cracking. You could see ripples in the water. You couldn't see where the fish were, but it was just, you know, haul that, uh, popper out there 50, 60 feet, and then just twitch, wait for the splash and then give it a good hook set. A lot of fun. I mean, it's, I said before, trout are, are fantastic, but man, an eight inch bluegill, 10 inch bluegill, there's, there's, not a lot of things that are going to be as much fun as that, especially when you've cast a, a nice long cast and you get to, to fight that fish all the way back in. So all those takes were on the pause. So you've got this little bluegill popper, and earlier in the night I was fishing on the spinning rod, a scum frog. A scum frog, if you don't know what a scum frog is, it is a two hooks that hug this rubber balloon-like frog body very, very tightly. So they're, it's weedless and there's a little bit of swivel inside of it. So it doesn't uh, tangle up your, your line as you pop it over lily pads and through the reeds and things like that. And then it has a rubber skirt hanging off the back of it. But they accomplish the same thing because that rubber skirt on that uh, frog, the scum frog, and the feathers hanging off the tail of the popper and the rubber legs coming off the side of the popper, they're going to move like crazy as the currents, the microcurrents, or simply as the fly is calming down, or the lure is calming down from your retrieve. And so uh, I know that I have the propensity, if I'm not being conscientious about my fishing, to let my fly sit for a very, very long time. But if I'm using conventional gear, I will reel that sucker in way too fast. So as I fly fished more and more and really have enjoyed spending time fly fishing from warm water species, I have increased my patience. I have increased my um, propensity for being slow as I retrieve a topwater lure. So whether that is a scum frog or a jitterbug or a hula popper or a zara spook or even just a uh, jerkbait that is going to dive down a couple inches and then pop right back up. It accomplishes very, very similar things. And so I think that I'm a better topwater bass angler than I was when I was fishing conventional tackle a lot more a long time ago because of the ability to control and then be successful with topwater flies on a fly rod. Does that make sense? So that's the first thing. The second thing, so after topwater stuff, is retrieve speed. So with a streamer, retrieve speed is a really important and integral part of how you fish. And this is true for trout. This is true for bass. This is true for saltwater species. But for whatever reason, when I am fishing a streamer on a fly rod, I am always thinking about how fast and if I'm putting any action on this fly as I'm retrieving it. Maybe a clouser minnow, it could be a woolly bugger. Um, again, fresh or salt. I have gotten to the point now where I'm very, very confident in my flies. And it's hard to not be confident in an olive conehead woolly bugger or a uh, blue and white clouser. 
those flies are going to produce fish, and I have a lot of confidence in them. So what do I do when I'm fishing those flies, when I'm fishing uh, those um, clousers for stripers up against the rocks in Maine, or I am pulling a woolly bugger through a channel in a trout pond here in Massachusetts, I'm thinking my fly is going to work. I just have to retrieve it the right way. Now, could that be a little bit foolhardy? Are there times where there's another pattern that would outperform what I'm fishing? Probably, but let's be honest. Both of the patterns I mentioned and then dozens of others are going to consistently produce fish under a wide variety of circumstances if you dial in the retrieve. So based upon the barometer, based upon the water temperature, based upon the forage sources, based upon the time of the year, then altering your retrieve is going to be more or less effective to predatory fish. Now with conventional lures, what I used to do is say, okay, this spinner bait didn't work, I'm going to switch colors. Okay, that didn't work, I'm going to put a crankbait on. Okay, I'm going to put something that stays up higher in the water column. Okay, none of those things work, I'm going to throw a jig to the bottom. And it was this constant changing of lures to try to find that um, that key that would unlock the door to get the fish to bite. After fishing flies and streamers in particular for decades, I have taken that same mentality of really dialing in the retrieve speed and the way I retrieve my fly and taken that and applied that to how I fish lures. So I've mentioned before, I think on the podcast, I only fish a handful of lures. I'll fish a rubber worm, I'll fish a Rapala floating minnow, and I'll fish a spinner. Not a spinner bait, but a spinner, an inline spinner. And with those three lures, and I've got I've got dozens and dozens more, so I'm, I'm not saying I use those exclusively, but just like I have my go-to flies, I have my go-to lures. With those, I have a lot of confidence I can cover the entirety of the water column, and all I have to do, with, of course, some obvious exceptions, when you know the top water bite is on or, um, or there's something else going on in the water, all I have to do is alter up the retrieve speed. Speed it up, slow it down put in more pauses, put in a few jerks. And I, my fly fishing has informed my conventional tackle fishing such that I am more aware of how I'm retrieving my lure. I pay more attention to it. There can be a certain monotony as you reel in a lure, and you don't get that with a fly, um, at least in my opinion. I feel like there's a lot more energy and effort expelled as you retrieve and strip in a streamer, maybe because it uh, is a little bit more taxing physically. Now, obviously, you're not going to be super worn out after a day of stripping streamers, but if you're fishing in the salt, you have to pay attention if you're doing a fast strip, even if you've got that, that um, rod between your legs and you're using both hands or, or something like that, you really have to pay attention to what you're doing. And the same thing is, is true for a smaller trout streamer. When you get a spinning reel in your hand and you start cranking, it can become monotonous. So paying attention, what am I doing with my left hand? What am I doing with my right hand? Am I retrieving the line at a speed that is, is consistent? Do I need to slow down? Do I need to speed up? Do I need to add a little bit more action in the rod tip? And how is my rod tip hand and my reel hand working in conjunction? So being more focused on those things as I've used the fly rod more, I, I am more aware of what I'm doing when I'm using a conventional rod. All right, so first thing, patience in topwater flies and lures. Second thing, uh, more attention paid to retrieve speeds. Thirdly, hook setting. I don't feel like I miss a lot of hook sets when I'm fishing conventional tackle anymore. 
I remember that that was a problem when I fished it uh, almost exclusively, that I felt like I missed a lot of fish. I don't feel like I'm missing a lot of fish, and I don't think it's because I've become a better angler. I think it's because I have become more aware of how to properly set the hook on a lure that's being retrieved because I have gotten into the habit of being patient with my hook setting on trout and other species that I use a, a like a streamer on. So, of course, you know that if you are retrieving a streamer, you shouldn't trout set because of the way that the fish strikes. By pulling that rod up, it's going to potentially pull it right out of its mouth, whereas what you ought to do is do that strip set, a nice hard pull, which keeps that fly in line in the same direction that that fish was pursuing it when it took it. So if it turns away, it's going to hook itself, um, or you're going to add a little bit more oomph uh, and tension, and that is going to set the hook even further. And then, of course, you can reinforce it once you start fighting it by raising that rod tip up and doing the um, prototypical trout set. I feel like as I'm fishing rubber worms, and this happened even just last night, fishing rubber worm, and I felt that tension, instead of just jerking that rod tip up and doing the the, um, the Bassmaster hook set, I do what a lot of guys actually do, which is reel that thing down, maintain tension, and then once I feel that uh, pressure that's being sustained, that's when I give it the hook set. And that was something that I don't think I really paid attention to much until I got better. And this is only in recent years, I would say, with my streamer fishing, of being more reserved about my hook setting and really making sure that that fly is lodged in there with a nice solid strip set before I raise that rod tip high. Now I'm doing the exact same thing with fishing rubber worms. And rubber worms, of course, they get inhaled real fast, but uh, they also have a lot of slack as you're fishing them, as they're bouncing along and things like that. And so by reeling down into that fish quickly, feeling that tension, and then giving the hook set, I just don't feel like I'm missing a lot of fish. Maybe, of course, it's very, very uh, reasonable to assume that I'm missing even more fish than I ever have. I'm just not feeling them, but I feel like I'm 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 getting into more fish than uh, I, I did before when I'm using lures like rubber worms and things like that. Um, and some of that has to even do with understanding currents, understanding weed beds, understanding drop-offs, all these things that. I knew a little bit when I was doing a lot of conventional fishing. I really dialed in as I was fishing for not just bass, but trout with a fly rod, as I think that you have to make your fly, I don't think, I know, you have to make your fly work a lot more, because there's not blades, and there's not skirts, and there's nothing shiny, and there's no sense, and so by figuring out all of the advantages I had to make on my own, I now can take that back over to the conventional lure game, and where I have those lures that do all those fancy rattling, clapping, splashing things, I can now fish them more efficiently and effectively. So do you have any thoughts? Do you fish conventional tackle? Again, there's nothing wrong with it. You should, uh, you should enjoy it. You should use the right tool for the job. And that's always going to lead to a more enjoyable time outdoors. Any uh, feedback, any questions, any comments, feel free to shoot me an email, matthew at castingacross.com. Hey, it's at this moment I do want to say, please leave a review and a rating on iTunes. It only takes a second, and you'll feel no pain. Just uh, pop that five stars if you think I deserve it, and uh, leave a short review. Hey, this week on castingacross.com, two articles that really had a lot to do with each other. The first one's called Three Places to Fish Long Light Fly Rods. The premise behind this is that 
I think the majority of zero, one, two, and three weights that get attention and publicity, and rightly so because they're great little rods, is little rods, short fly rods. I've written and talked about this ad nauseum, it feels like, but it's it's what I like to do and what a lot of you like to do. And so those six and a half foot, seven foot, and even shorter, you know, five foot, nine inch, two and three weights are great for small, tight streams. You can get those casts exactly where you want them, and you can move your rod in and out of the stream-sided vegetation very, very easily. But there are some situations where having a nine-foot fly rod, even on a smaller stream, is going to be beneficial. I talked about this in a podcast recently. So in this article, I went through a number of situations that I think are going to benefit you by having that eight and a half or nine foot two or three weight and you say are there a lot of those out there and the fact of the matter is is that in one sense there are in another sense there are not because the second article that i wrote this week is called long light fly rods so this was derivative from the first one and i went through and first of all i answered some questions to some feedback i got about the first article like why did you say three weights not four weights why did you say eight feet and not seven foot nine inches or whatever and so i addressed some of those things but then i went through all the major fly rod manufacturers catalogs and found the models that are out there and there are a lot but at the same time compared to like your choices as it comes to five foot weights across actions across price ranges and certainly across material choices there are not that many eight foot plus two and three weights there's no zeros and no ones but there's some two and three weights. Some of them are great. I've fished some of them. I've casted uh, a number of them. But it's just interesting to see what's out there. A nine-foot three-weight would be a fantastic rod if you fish a mountain stream that has very little overhanging canopy. It allows you to do so many things. And there's a lot of great rods in this list that I would encourage you to check out. So check out those two articles, Three Places to Fish Long Light Fly Rods and Long Light Fly Rods, if you have any interest in adding a unique rod to your arsenal. This week's recommendation is a video from the good people at Reddington. It's called Out of Office. It's a fun little video, and if you're not much into fly fishing films, this is a little bit different. It's neat. It follows um, a young woman who is doing research in Wyoming. Her name is Anna Ortega, and she is looking at mule deer migration patterns. And so it's just a fun little video. It's You're not being sold anything. Are there Reddington products in the video? Absolutely. You see an ID reel. You see a pair of their women's waders. But you're not being sold those things. It's just a fun little four or five minute uh, diversion from whatever you're doing. And uh, you get to see some very, very pretty country. It is not shot in that hype video style. It's just fun and entertaining. I smiled while I was watching it, and I think you would enjoy it also. And you get to learn something fun about mule deer and mule deer poop while you're at it. So the link to Out of Office, the new video from Reddington, will be on the bottom of the show notes for this podcast over at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.